maybe it was that. And then I think they should have added that detail so we didn't, readers like me didn't go, why are they showing him that? Okay. Um, because construction had been ongoing. Under Herod the Great, he started a new, uh, you know, they had built the second temple after they returned from exile. And, but under Herod the Great, he's like, let's make this place shine, right? And then he died. But, you know, construction of beautiful places takes a long time. So maybe they were pointing something out. In any case, whatever they were doing, and for whatever reason, Jesus cuts them short. And he says, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, so we know, we've talked about it before, we know that after Jesus' death, um, there is going to be a Jewish revolt, and the Romans are going to put it down very brutally, and they are going to um, tear the temple apart in 70 AD, right? And then they are going to cart off the riches, as, as you can see in the Arch of Titus and various places. We have the, um, them carrying away the spoils from the Jewish temple, and you see the triumph of Titus, like, yeah, I showed those Jews, right? So this is what's going to happen. So all of which is to say, imagine you had been walking in Paris a month ago, and you were walking along the Ile de la Cité, and you said, see that spire? It was added in the mid-19th century because the original spire was on the verge of collapse and removed. And your friends say to you, everybody knows that. We've been to Notre Dame as many times as you have, right? But then Jesus pipes up and says, 12th century, 19th century, it doesn't finally matter because the spire is going to catch on fire and burn down along with the roof and some framework. This is what it would be like, right? And our reaction would probably have been the same as it was for the disciples. No, right? No, when we saw it burning, no, we love that place, right? Um, it might comfort you to know that uh, after Notre Dame burned, uh, like millions of people around the world, I thought, I'm going to read The Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? So I downloaded it, and I made it 15% of the way before I gave up, because it was so boring. And I love 19th century novels, and it bored me. So I, I just, uh, but one interesting thing in the 15% before I dumped it, was that Hugo is writing in 1830, and in 1830, he's looking, the story is set in the 15th century. So he's looking back a few hundred years, and he has a whole three to four page section of complaints about how the church is just going to pieces because they made this alteration or that alteration. They didn't take care of this thing, and they replaced that thing. So it, that should be comforting to us, right? Okay, yeah, a big chunk burdened down. But already in 1830, people were like, no, that, that's all messed up, and that's falling apart. And so, you know, it's just part of the way things go. Okay, anyhow, the disciples did not, th uh, the disciples think, oh my gosh, if the temple is going to be ruined, um, it must mean the end of the world is coming, right? Uh, let's look at verses 3 through 14. Yes, 3 through 14. Long passage. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? 
And Jesus answered them, Take heed that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumor of, rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. I don't know how you not get alarmed about that, but don't get alarmed, ladies. Um, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Um, some of these signs are so constant that I don't know how we're supposed to distinguish them as different, right? There are always wars. I'm not sure there has ever been a time on the planet when somebody was not at war with somebody else. I don't know what Christina is supposed to do. Just restart it. Restart it. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. Um. Oh, somebody is always starving to death, right? There are always earthquakes. We're waiting for our big one, right? Um, and even other things have happened from time to time. People saying they're the Messiah. Do a Google search on Messiahs. Right? And they have to group and categorize them. There have been so many people who say, I'm the Messiah, right? There have been persecutions throughout history. There have been false prophets. Uh, there have been people turning on each other. You just look at any, um, any government or system where you get a reward or you are not harmed if you turn somebody else in, and we instantly turn on each other and rat each other out, right? This is what we do. So. But here are some signs to look for, in addition to the ones that are just kind of background noise, unfortunately. Okay, number one, uh, more false messiahs. Okay, I just talked about that one, it doesn't really count. But you know, maybe, maybe it'll be an even more compelling one. Because if you read through the ones on the Wikipedia list, you're like, did this person even get five people to follow him? I don't know. Okay. Then we have wars. Oh, see, I already went over this. Now I'm getting off my notes, trying to shout at you. Wars and natural disasters, persecution and betrayal. Oh, Nan will tell you this is the only one we have control over, right? Um, the gospel preached worldwide. And then there is going to be some sort of idolatrous image given a prominent religious place. And this one has happened multiple times as well. Um, uh, probably your Bible notes will say, oh, they put up this, blah, blah, blah. This has happened multiple times. But our own culture has quite a pantheon of things we put in places of worship, right? And you can just check all that apply. We worship wealth, we worship fame, we worship youth, we worship success, including our children's success, right? Um, sports, we worship sports, we worship beauty, um, and we install these idols at the center of our lives and worship them with our time and our attention and our money. I saw a funny thing today on Twitter and it said, uh, Kim Kardashian said 
she would not be a typical pastor's wife if Kanye West started a church. And I thought, no, she would not be a typical. I haven't yet posted pictures of my butt on the internet for everyone to enjoy. So um, I thought, no, she would be, a, I suppose, a breath of fresh air in many ways. So anyways, because she has, up to this time, had different things that were of interest to that family. So to put it mildly. Okay, so how will we know if it's the real Jesus who has come again? And Jesus seems to imply somehow it is going to be obvious to all people. He says in verse 27, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, that's, that's a sign we haven't seen yet, right? East to west, the whole sky lit up. Um, he says the sun and the moon and the stars are going to go kind of wonky. We haven't seen that one yet, okay? And then there'll be some kind of sign of the Son of Man in the skies. And everyone will see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's verse 30. And Jesus will send these angels blowing trumpets, and he'll collect all his beloved people. But no one, he says, nobody knows when this will happen. Nobody knows, not even Jesus. Which is quite clear when you realize he talks as if this is around the corner. Right? This is right. And then clearly, it was not around the corner. 2,000 years have passed. So he meant it when he said, not even the sun knows when this is going to happen. The sun really did not know. Um, missionaries like Nan, as I said, will tell you that Jesus will not come again until every last group of people has had a chance to hear about Jesus, and thus the Great Commission is fulfilled. I find this very depressing. I don't like when Nan talks about this. Because... <laughs> If you look on missionary sites online and say, how many people are unreached? You know, will Jesus be here next week? I would like him to come next week, right? Um, you see, there are still a bazillion unreached people. I mean, really, like more than three billion people who live in weird, isolated places and, you know. So uh, I just found that super depressing. And um, I'm really hoping, I, I said to Scott the other day, I really hope God counts internet, the internet gospel reach, right? Could we just dump internet access into all, give some money to MAF, dump internet access in all these remote valleys nobody can get to, and pump them full of Jesus websites, right? Totally free, people get on for curiosity, you can't get to Amazon until you click through all the Jesus screens, right? And then I thought, would that count? Would that count? Then everybody's had a chance, and Jesus can come again. That is my, I was thinking, maybe that will work. We could at least try it, right? Um, so Nan would tell you, become a missionary, support a uh, missionary. I'm happy to report that if you are tithing to the church, you are supporting a min uh, missionary. But if you feel more urgent about it, and want to get on board with my internet access, Jesus come again ministry, we'll talk afterwards. Um, okay, so, but the point is, Jesus says all this stuff is going to happen. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. The point is not recognizing, ah, oh, it's next Thursday. That's not the point, right? The point is readiness, being ready. Um, and he is going to tell four parables now about readiness. And what do we know about the Bible? Right? In the Bible, if it's talked about multiple times, that means pay attention. right? 
So if Jesus tells us four stories about readiness, that means readiness is important. So let's look at these stories. The first one is this robbed homeowner. In verse 42. Watch, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay. You know, I don't know if anyone's on nextdoor.com. If you like to major in the minors of life and uh, fuss about, oh, I saw a stranger, or oh, my dog is missing, or oh, I found a dog, this is the website for you, right? But people also like to post, somebody stole my Amazon package, and here's the video of them getting out of their car and running up to the doorstep and stealing my Amazon package, right? Um, and then they put it in the trunk of their lime car, and they drive off. Just so you know, if you'd like to see those videos, join nextdoor.com. Um, so I, I, another swim official, see this is where I get all my socializing now. Another swim official said to me she got one of those cameras, but they had just installed it, and so they were trying to adjust the sensitivity of it because she was getting a phone notification every time her neighbor came out his front door, right? Too sensitive. Too sensitive. We don't care what the neighbor is doing. Just we care if somebody is breaking into our house. Um, but, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, what will make a difference when your life ends? Oh, here comes Mona. This one? This one? No, there's no cord. There's no cord. Okay. Um, what will make a difference when our lives end? And the thing that will make a difference is whether or not you were in a relationship with Jesus. Oh, no, i got to hold the mic. Um, whether we've come to him... Come to him. Oh. 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 Okay, now I just have to hold this in. Okay, whether we've come to him for forgiveness and have tried to live lives of gratitude and obedience to him. So how do we guard that? How do we set an alarm system for that, right? How am I doing? Am I still in relationship to God? Um, and I was thinking about this, this alarm system. Um, when we're young, we have moms to be our alarm systems, right? And moms have very sensitive triggers, like, oh, I think when you hang around with that kid, here's what I noticed, right? Alarm system. But as we get older, we might have a spouse, we might have a friend, but um, we are to develop our alarm systems, right? Ask ourselves these questions. Does this person or this activity or this habit, does it draw me closer to Jesus or does it draw me away? and leave my most precious thing unguarded, right? Is it drawing me closer or is it drawing me away? Um, and we can, we can ask people to help us be an alarm system, though often we get very annoyed when other people tell us. I think that's taking you further away from Jesus. That annoys us. But you know, so it takes a special kind of teachable heart to receive that message and to think and pray about it. Like, is this person telling me the truth? Is this drawing me further away from Jesus? Um, we've all probably had situations where we were alarmed for a friend or a loved one and we spoke something and it might have been received poorly or it might have been received poorly at the time but then was appreciated later 
or, or you're not friends with them anymore. <laughs> so we've all had those situations. They are difficult. It is hard to be an alarm system. It's hard to keep your alarm system up to date. Okay. Second parable he tells is that of the slacking off servant. I don't know what the NIV header is for it is. What is it? What do they call it in your Bible? They, they don't call it slacking off servant, do they? Yeah. You guys don't have the little headers? Oh! See, I got an RSV because I hate the little headers. Oh, faithful? Whatever. Okay. Slacking off servant. So let's look in verse 45. 45. Who then, oh, he does say faithful. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Right? What is this guy's job? He's the food distributor to the whole household. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, Ah, oh, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him, and at an hour he doesn't know, and will punish him and put him with the hypocrites. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. Um, this is a story about being, being ready by persevering in following Jesus. So to those who followed them, Jesus said, here it is in a nutshell, right? Keep trying to love God. Keep trying to love your neighbor. And after, after his resurrection, he added, tell people about me, right? These are the things, the work he's given us to do, the food he's given us to distribute, right? And we have all worked jobs where we work a little harder when the boss is around. I think that is human nature. Um, when Scott comes home, I try not to be found lounging on the couch. <laughs> Even if that is what I was doing, the second before I heard the garage door, I hop off that couch and I go in the kitchen I try to look busy. Like I've been doing something all day. And I have been doing things all day, right? He always comes home when I choose to flop on the couch and be like, Woo! I'm going to take a load off for 15 minutes and then the garage door, right? We all know that feeling. Um, even if it's not your spouse, if it's your boss, whatever. Um, a friend of mine told me uh, her husband is a little OCD. Actually, I have several friends who've told me versions of this story. My husband is a little OCD. So if he's gone on a business trip, there's a lot more lounging around in the pajamas and, you know, maybe the dishes sit in the sink overnight, right? Maybe the counter doesn't get wiped down. Um, so we all do this. This is our nature. Like, if we can slack off, we will. And so um, what is our job with Jesus? Love God, love our neighbor, share Jesus with people. So when, when do we do this job most effectively, and when do we slack off? Um, do we behave one way at church, and around church people, and another way at home? Um, one part of readiness is to be a whole person, right? The same person, whatever our circumstances. So that, you know, if, my, if you come to our house and Holly says, this is where mommy broke a pasta spoon because she was so mad at Jackson. I've already told you ladies about that, right? And I told you I didn't break it on his head, right? So if we can be the same person, then there are no surprises, right? If my kids come and say, mommy was a yeller and she had a scary voice, I have already told you I was a yeller. I had a special scary voice. It doesn't work anymore. But it did when they were little. Now they're just, now the eyes roll when the scary voice comes out. I'm like, oh. so, 
so I should have used it more sparingly. Um, yeah, so this is a lifelong challenge, right? To be the same person. But maybe if, if you, if, and we all have difficulty being the same person in whatever circumstances, right? But the other option is the one I've mentioned, keeping the boss informed, right? If the wicked servant had emailed his boss every night and said, boss, I'm really sorry, I lost my temper with Irma because she did this and such, and I still haven't made it up with her, but I'm, I'm gonna, tomorrow, I'm gonna make it up with her. Or, boss, please forgive me, but today I wasted a lot of your time and money on this thing that really wasn't good for me. He keeps his list of accounts short, right? There are no surprises when the boss comes. The boss already knows. So, when the boss comes, we don't want him to be surprised. If we are ready, we keep short accounts. We take care of things as he goes. Lord, here is where I messed up today. I am so sorry. Please help me try again tomorrow. Your promises are new every morning. Make me new tomorrow morning, right? Keep short accounts. Okay, so that's good news to us because we naturally tend to slack off. Okay. The wise and foolish maiden. This is not my favorite parable in the Bible. Um, because I thought, well, aren't the prepared maidens kind of snotty about not sharing, right? But if you don't read it so literally, if you read it as a parable, right? Jesus' point is readiness is not transferable, right? It's not transferable. It is a very personal thing. It, it cannot be transferred from one person to another. Um, so whether we are getting ready for our own deaths, which uh, think about the crane falling, right? Yeah. Girl, you could just be driving down the street and a crane falls over and that's the end and then there you are talking to Jesus, right? So whether it's our own death or Jesus' return, which seems like it will be distant, but maybe not, maybe internet access counts. Um, you know, it cannot be transferred, not to our friends, not to our spouse, not to our child, not to our grandchild. We can. We can encourage people, oh, I wish you would know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. But finally, it's a very personal thing. It's up to them, right? Okay, and then the fourth readiness story. I'm sorry we are going fast, but we're covering two whole chapters today. Okay, fourth parable he tells is the parable of the talents. And now we're into chapter uh, 25. Let's read this one. This is such a familiar story, maybe we don't need to read it. For it will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he, had, he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Here, I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Maybe gave him a couple of billows to rest, you know. Um, Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter 
into the joy of your master. Exact same words, right? He did not care whether you were a person of minor league talent, but you still did something with it, or major league talent, right? It's just that you did something. Okay. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you did not win up. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours, right? I'm giving you back what you gave me. At least I didn't lose it. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not winnowed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest, right? I mean, like 1%, no idea. But still, still something. Um, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. Okay, a few weeks ago we talked about fruitfulness in the context of Jesus causing the fig tree to wither, if you remember. And we have, each of us, been given much to work with. Um, and what we have been given will vary from person to person. But everyone got something. You notice at least one thing none of the servants did was say, hey, Jimmy got five talents and I only got two, right? Nobody, thank God, whines about that, though that would have been very uh, human for everyone to do that. But nobody does that here. But we do plenty of that. Like, hey, why did they, you know, get the big house and the nice spouse and the well-behaved kids, all that kind of stuff. We do plenty of that. But um, that's not the point of the story. The point is, everyone got something, right? Everyone got something. And so, and the question Jesus asks is, in readiness, are you using your gift for kingdom purposes as well as for yourself, right? For kingdom purposes as well as for yourself. Um, I was thinking about gifts we might, use, we might have received. And I thought, well, you can check all that apply. I'm just going to read a list. And you can just mentally check. Don't look at your neighbor's list, because then you'll get like covetous. So just education through high school, right? If you were born in this country, it's available to you. Um, a household median income in the top 10 worldwide, because our standard of living is so high, right? Access to clean water, food, and emergency services. Um, if we don't live in Flint, Michigan, we've got all of those, right? You have a Bible. You're allowed to have a Bible, and you can learn from it. Um, you've been given a little gift. Maybe you're a good host, or administrator, or talker, or server, or teacher, or giver, or encourager. You've been given a little gift. And if you were to poll 100 people who know you, they'd say, oh, you know, yeah, I'd say she's pretty good at that. Um, you have a roof over your head, true for most of us. You have a car, true for very many of us, right? You have free time that you currently spend on something, whether that be watching television, reading, or playing games on your phone, right? You have some free time. Um, you are around other people. Here we all are, around other people. So you're not isolated. And your body currently works. It works enough that here you sit in this room, right? You got here today. So these are all talents we have been given and entrusted with. Um, you can probably think of 10 more if you sit down and think about it really hard. But we have a bunch of these. You could probably check off a bunch of those talents that you have received. And so the question Jesus asks is, 
Are you using these gifts that you have been given? And you can go around the world, and a lot of people around the world are not going to be able to check off as many of those, of those items. Are you using those gifts for kingdom purposes as well as for yourself? Um, have you ever had the experience where you gave your child some money for an express purpose? An express purpose. And they did not use it for the express purpose. And they used it most likely on something much more foolish, something you would have considered squandering that money, right? Um, how did you feel afterward? Did you feel like, well done! I am so glad you took that money that I gave you for lunch and you spent it on ice cream and candy. You know, right? Well done, right? No, you feel angry! That is not why I gave you that! I gave you that to nourish you, you know, and make you strong, and you did this and that and the other, right? Maybe you worked for an employer and discovered that they took your pension funds and used it to buy boats and vacations for themselves. You didn't say, well done, bosses, right? No, you were angry. That was not the reason that money was given to them, entrusted to them, right? So God has entrusted us with many things so that we might use them for designated purposes, not just so we can enjoy our cushy lives, okay? Okay, so we are to be ready, just to recap, we are, here's our emergency preparedness checklist. <laughs> we are to guard our relationship with Jesus, right? Set an alarm, have a friend set an alarm even though that might irritate us. Right? We are to persevere in loving God and loving others, even when we sometimes slack off, right? Tell God about it, that's the next one. Keep short accounts with the master. Lord, today I really slacked off in loving the people around me. Help me, right? Forgive me and help me. Go to bed prepared. Go to bed prepared. Keep your accounts short. This is why Jesus says, don't let the sun go down in your anger, which I try to do most of the time, and most of the time. Um, sometimes it goes down, but try to go to bed prepared, right? If the crane falls on you tonight, you are prepared. Um, so warn others, but know that preparedness isn't transferable, okay? We, but we can tell others, tell the people we love, um, and use what we've been given to prepare ourselves and prepare others. This is the, the little emergency checklist God has given us. Okay. So readiness for death and or Jesus' second coming is important. And it's so important he told us four stories about it. So important. We might not be alive for the end of time, ladies, but we sure as heck are going to be around for our own death. So let's be ready. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. And after Jesus comes again, the next thing to happen is the end of the world and of time as we know it, and it will be Judgment Day. And this is what it will be like. Did we already read it? Verses, we didn't? Okay, 25, verses 31. 31 and following. Did I make slides? Yes, I did. Okay. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Next page. Go page. Identity, right? He doesn't ask each sheep, 
how many good deeds did you do today, right? It's not, it's just, oh yeah, this one's mine. Oh no, that one is not mine, right? It's identity. You know, as he says in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Okay, so the second thing to note is the sheep were not exactly aware of their good deeds, right? They were just following their shepherd around. Lord, you tell me to do this. I don't always know why, and sometimes I don't want to do what you tell me to do, but I'm trying to obey you because you're my shepherd, right? I trust you have my best interests at heart, so if you're telling me to do this thing, I will try to do it, right? Um, if we are obeying God, trying to love him, trying to love other people, keeping a short list of accounts, and so on, we may not always be aware of how we are being used. Uh, for example, the Bible says to tithe, I'm going to tithe, even though I can think of a thousand things I could do with that money, right? And guess what? That obedience will have results. We will not even know what the results are until Judgment Day. And he says, oh, do you remember that check you put in the offering plate? Here's what I did with it. Oh, I didn't even know. I did not even know. That's how it was going to be used. I did not even know, right? Judgment Day, if you are trying to spend your life obeying Jesus, and tithing is just one example, right? If you are trying to spend your life obeying Jesus, Judgment Day will be full of delightful surprises. Here's how I used that one kindness you showed to that one person, right? Here's how I used that one time you offered a meal to that one person. Here's how I used that money you put in the plate. Here's how I, right? And we'll be, God willing, we will be bowled over and overjoyed to find out what happened. We were just trying to obey, right? We didn't know what the heck. We didn't know why the heck. We were just trying to obey. And God will say, check it out. Look what I did with what I have done with your obedience, right? It will be pure joy. Um, and the goats, and third thing to note, is the goats had their own criteria for righteousness, right? They did what they deemed good for those they deemed worthy, right? Um, they may have been doing plenty of good work, right? And some of their good works may even have overlapped with what God would have them do. And yet, they were not doing this out of obedience, right? Uh, they had different criteria for their good behavior, and they had different expectations of it, and they ranked things differently, right? And yet, because they were the ones setting the criteria for their righteousness and deciding who were the good people, what was worthwhile, what was not, they fell short, right? Whenever we try to set our own bar for righteousness, that's not God's bar. That's not God's bar. And so we are going to fall short of what God requires. Um, we can all ace the test if we are the one writing the test, right? But God, we are not. God is the one writing the test. And the only way to ace the test is to try to obey him, try to do what he asks us to do. Um, okay, so the righteousness of the sheep was not based on good works. It was based on their identity in Christ, their identity in being followers of the shepherd. Because obviously it is Jesus who invests us with righteousness, right? You're not, you can make it over your own bar. You'll never make it over God's bar. But come. Be one of my sheep, and I'll take care of that, right? You will be righteous. 
Um, the Bible is very clear that even the most well-behaved humans do not measure up. But the most forgiven humans, the ones who are in constant readiness, right, who know they are sinners in need of a, a savior, so they keep those really short accounts, right, those are the righteous ones. And whatever good they might do in the world flows out of their identity, right? Not out of their good works, but out of their identity and their obedience. Okay. <gasps> Woo! I'm going to end with a prayer. That is right on time. I'm never right on time. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, you have a lot to tell us today. And I pray, Lord, if nothing else sinks in, help us get ourselves ready, Lord. Help us get ourselves ready. May we tell you again that we love you, that we need you in our lives. Would you help us, give us open ears and teachable hearts, Father. If there is something you would have us do for your reasons alone, Lord, help us to obey and to follow you. Um, we want to get to that day and know that you know us and we know you, Father. And, and we want to open all those Christmas presents of surprises, of things you are doing with our obedience and our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.